Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Mem Base. We're going to go from to the last line of Mem Aleph Amud Base, 41b. Today's Shiz Ilu Nishma Atsipar Bashmul. May her Neshama have an Aliyah and her memory be a blessing. So, this, this point, Rabbi Yossi, Oymer, Yomtov, etc. Um, the Mishnah brought Rabbi Yossi's opinion that if someone acts, a, remember, you're not allowed to carry on Shabbos, and that even includes carrying your Lulav to Shul. And therefore, but Rabbi Yossi says if someone does carry their Lulav to Shul, or he, he goes out carrying his Lulav, um, He's, he doesn't, generally, if you would carry by mistake, ah, you forget it's Shabbos, you'd have to bring a korban chattas. But in this case, since he's torud bedover mitzvah, or tor bedover mitzvah, since he is, um, his mistake is in trying to do a mitzvah, he's exempt from the korban. So that's what we're going on now. And Omar Abaya, Abaya qualifies that. Now, top of Mem Beis and Aleph. Lo shano elashelo yotzopo. This is this that he's exempt from bringing a korban chattas because he carried it into Rishus Rabbim is where he has not yet done the mitzvah. Aval yotzopo chayev. But if he has done the mitzvah, he is chayev for the korban chattas because once he's done the mitzvah, you can't say. This that he accidentally started carrying his lulav to shul is Torah bedava mitzvah, making a mistake trying to do the mitzvah. He already did the mitzvah at home. So that can't be. But now, that, so, so that's why a buyer qualifies like another of the Gemara asks a very obvious question. says, Homin, I've But as soon as he picks it up, he fulfills his obligation. What's the... Why? Because remember, what's the mitzvah of lulav? What's the mitzvah of lulav? To pick it up. We add in that you shake, and we also shake it during halal. But the actual mitzvah is to pick it up, um, is to just pick it up. So as soon as you pick it up to carry it to shul, you've done the mitzvah. So how do you ever get a scenario that he's carrying it in Rishus Arabim and he hasn't done the mitzvah that we can apply Rabbi Yossi's halacha that he's exempt from a kobachatas? So Amr Abaya says, Keshehopcho, no, it's where he carried it up so down. As we saw, remember, a few days ago in Tosos, that if you carry it up, you have to fulfill the mitzvah, you have to hold it with the stem down and the top up, the same way that it grows. So if you carry it up so down, you would not be Yotze, the mitzvah. That's Abaya's answer. Um... So, uh, yeah, so that's a bias answer. Rava gives a different answer. Rava, Omar, Rava says, You can even say it's where he did not turn it upside down. And And here the case is where he carried it out in a kli. I would imagine this means like us when you carry it in your lulav bag. Or there they seem to be speaking like on a tray. He carries his lulav on a tray. So there you don't fulfill the mitzvah. But we learned that Rava himself says that carrying the lulab through something else is considered a lekicha. You do fulfill the mitzvah. Remember there we were discussing the laws of chatzitzah, etc. And Rava says if you have a scarf wrapped around your hand and you hold the lulav, you still fulfill the mitzvah of lulav. So, so to here, if you're holding the lulav in a vase or you're holding the lulav on a tray, even though it's you holding the lulav through something, it's the same as holding the lulav through the cloth wrapped around your hand. So you should be yotis. How can Robert say if you're carrying it on a train not to? So it's not honey milli derek kovar, but derek bizoyon 
No. No. This, that, if you hold it through something, your yoytse is only when it's done in a respectful, dignified way. If it is not done in a respectful, dignified way, well, then you do not fulfill your mitzvah. And as you can picture in your mind, carrying the lulav by the handle on your lulav uh, in the plastic, you know, the plastic that the lulav comes in, that's not a respectful way to carry it, to take it. So, Shabbos, someone accidentally picks up the lulav to carry it to shul or to carry it to the chochom to ask them, how to shake the lulav. And then they realize, oh wait. And then they realize it's Shabbos. Contribuosi, they would not have to um, bring a korban because they were ta'ah bedovah mitzvah. They were trying to do the mitzvah. That would be the case according to Rava. Omar Rav Huna, Omer Hoyo Rav Ravuna said that Rav used to say, A bird ola that is found amongst, this is the birds for the chattas. And he thinks that it's a chattas ha'oif and he eats it. Potul, he's exempt from the, from me'ila, from the korban me'ila. Let's just go from korban me'ila. Let's just go back a step. Sorry, I should have done the background first. There's two bird offerings that are done on the Mizbech. One's called a oila ha'oif and a chattas ha'oif. Oila, remember, is completely burned and a chattas is eaten. Now, the oila is offered on the top of the Mizbech, the top half of the Mizbech, whereas the Chattas is on the bottom half of the Mizbech. Remember there was that red ring, red line going around the Mizbech, and certain components had to be done below and some above. And that's when you sprinkle or smear the blood on the Mizbech. So, generally, an Oila Sa'oif would, that were done on top of the Mizbech, I don't remember, on a specific corner, but once in a while, if it got very crowded at the top of the Mizbech, they would be putting the birds in the opposite corner. In the same corner, I mean, this is on top of the Mizbech, but on the same corner where below, they were doing the Chatois Ha'oif. Now, if so, what happens if one of the, they would take the bird, do Malika, put the blood on the Mizbech, and then put it down while it finishes thrashing around before putting it on the fire. This olas off. What happens if it fell off or fell into the pile, got mixed up with the chatois? So some kohen came along, he saw this bird and thought it was a korban chatas, and he ate it. Now generally, if you get benefit from something that's supposed to go on the mizbech, like this olas off, it's supposed to be burnt on the mizbech, what's the halacha? We say... Um, Um, he's a korban to replace it. So what we're saying here is that since he was trying to do the mitzvah of eating the chattas, we'll see this inside, he's exempt from the korban me'ila for eating this ola. So the Gemara asks, Maikamash Malan, what's Abaya coming to teach us? The Tobadova mitzvah potur. That someone trying to do a mitzvah is exempt from a korban. Hanuhach, that's exactly what Rabbi Yossi told us. I am, what Abaya said, Abaya is not teaching us anything novel. Rabbi Yossi came along and said, if you try carry your lulav, if you carry your lulav to Shulon Shabbos, you're exempt because you're making from the korban because you're trying to do the mitzvah. Well, so to hear when you eat this bird thinking it's a chattas, you're exempt because you're trying to do the mitzvah of eating the korban. So it sounds like the exact same halacha. So what's he teaching us? He says, no, ma'hu de tayma hasam hu de tabadava mitzvah patur to avad mitzvah. This, that, we say, over there by the lulav, it's where he made a mistake trying to do the mitzvah and now he's able to, and he does the mitzvah. 
by the bird, mitzvah, he made a mistake trying to do the mitzvah, mitzvah, and he didn't do the mitzvah. Because eating the this eating game, when he carries the lulav to shul, well, now he can do the mitzvah with the lulav. So the mistake was to try to he was mis, made a mistake trying to do a mitzvah, and then he does the mitzvah. But here by the bird, he made some mistake trying to do a mitzvah, but he never does the mitzvah. It's an avera to eat this bird. So he says no. So maybe you would think in that case, he does have to bring the korban. So Kamashmalana comes to teach us that no, even where he makes a mistake trying to do the mitzvah and he does not do a mitzvah, he's still exempt from the korban. Again, because he made a mistake trying to do the mitzvah. This may they they challenge this. I'm going to challenge this idea that even if you make a mistake trying to do a mitzvah, you're exempt from the korban. He says, he says, if someone takes a tomid, that's the daily offering. Now the daily offering was supposed to be checked for four days. And if you don't check it for four days before offering it, you're not allowed to offer it. So he takes that korban tomid that has not been checked and he checks it on Shabbos. Now generally if it was a, let's call it a kosher tomid, an animal that had been checked and could be used as a tomid, that's a mitzvah. That's the doing the daily offering, which you do even on Shabbos. But now this one has not been checked, so he's not doing a mitzvah. And he's doing the Aveira of Shechting on Shabbos. So he says, So let's see. Rabbi Yossi, I'm going to show you a Tomit Chayna Mavukar. Kehil Chosso. But Shabbos, if someone checks a Tomit that was not checked correctly on Shabbos, Chayv Chatz, he's obligated to bring a Korban. But sorry, Tomid Acher, and they have to bring another Korban Tomid. Now there, he's trying to do a mitzvah, and he doesn't do the mitzvah. Because shechting a Korban Tomid that has not been checked is not a mitzvah. And what do we see? He brings a Korban. So we should say, now let's go back to the previous case. He tried to eat a Korban Chattas, thinking he's doing a mitzvah, and he ate a Ola. A he should have to bring a Korban. Because he made a mistake trying to do a mitzvah, and in the end he didn't do a mitzvah. So Omar Lay, they say, no, take this case out. It says, Bar Mino Dahi, exclude, this case is totally different. Doho Itmar Ola Omar of Shmubar Chitai, of Shmubar Chitai said regarding that Mishnah, that teaching. Omar Rav Amnuna, Omar Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Ashin, Omar Rav Huna, Omar Rav, in the name of Rav, so a whole, a whole train of uh, tradition. He says, The case is where he brought it from a chamber of unchecked lands. I, if he went, I, so the explanation is, this is more negligent than a mistake. Uh, he's not torrid doing a mitzvah when he goes into the totally wrong chamber. They had a special room in the base. I mean, that's where they kept the muvukarim, the checked lambs. So if he went to that chamber to get a lamb for the korman tomid, he's trying to do the mitzvah, and he makes a valid mistake trying to do the mitzvah, and b- took out one that wasn't checked. But if he goes to the wrong chamber, a different chamber, you can't say that's a mistake anymore. That's negligent. Because why would he be going to that chamber to do the mitzvah to get a lamb to shecht for the korban tomid? He's in the totally, totally wrong place. So that can't, So that's why this case is different. So it seems the conclusion, at least a buyer and no one, we 
brought a challenge, but we explained away the challenge. Again, okay, Rabbi Yossi's principle is if you make someone makes a mistake, that generally would obligate them in a korban. But they make the mistake trying to do the mitzvah. Whether they, in the end, they actually do the mitzvah or they do not succeed in doing the mitzvah, we still say that they... Uh, um, we still say that they... Uh, that they, a Rebiosi would say, they exempt from bringing the korban. Okay, let's go on to the new Mishnah. Makapeles Isha Miyad Benomiyad. Yeah, sure. What would the case be in our case here in Johannesburg if we carried the, the Lulav on Shabbos in the, in the, uh, um, within the area? So you wouldn't be liable for carrying. We don't take a Lulav on Shabbos. Oh, we we follow this is this is I think this is all before the Xera that uh, that we don't take a lulav on Shabbos. We don't take a lulav on Shabbos. We'll see more about that a bit later. Um, we technically be liable for a korban No, because you didn't carry. If there's an eruv, you're not carrying, so you wouldn't be have a korban chatis. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Just a technical yeah. I mean, there would, we'll see in the following mitzv- um, thing, it might be a problem on Muktza, but again, Muktza is also only a Isudra so there wouldn't be a Korban. Thank you. Okay. Um, if um, a woman can take the Lulav from her son or her husband, and put it in water on Shabbos. Now, there are two halachas. That we learn, well, at least two points from you. Firstly, why does it mention why, why does it mention the woman putting it in the water? Why can't a man put it in the water? So we're going to see this is to teach us that it's not mukta for her, as we'll see in the Gemara. But you might have thought that a woman doesn't shake have to shake lulav. So granted, the husband can shake lulav, since the woman has no use for it on Shabbos, it's mukta. So it's not mukta. She can take it and put it in, and put it in the water. That, that's one way of looking at. It. We'll discuss it a bit further in the Gemara. Um, the other point is that. It's not considered watering a plant, taking a plant that was in water and putting it back in water. They used to keep their lulavs in uh, in a vase, in a in a jug. So that that would also not be a problem. On Shabbos you can put the lulav back in the water. On Yom Tov, not only can you put it back in the water, you can add add fresh water with a moed machalifin, and on the festival you can even change the water. Rashi explains, um, if you're putting in, if you're adding water, Shabbos with the strictest, because if you're adding in water, then it looks like you tarach letakune mana. Not sure, it's that you're going to effort to fix, to improve something. Interesting, it seems to be, I mean, I would have said, don't do the unnecessary effort. Or it's a problem that looks like metak and mona. Rashi seems to be saying two points, but he's combining it as one. You put, it looks like, um, um, you're putting in effort to fix, to improve something. And that's the, uh, that's the, that's what you're not allowed to do. But again, if you shake your lulav on Shabbos, you took it out of the vase, you can put it straight back. On Yom Tov, we allow you to do the minimal effort of adding water. But we still don't allow you to go to the extra effort of pouring out water. Interesting enough, in Halachas of Mukta, there's a specific um, aspect of you shouldn't be doing unnecessary, unnecessary effort, unnecessary, uh, what's it, bothering yourself unnecessarily. Um, 
just for example, I'm not going into how we pass it, but we know if you want to, if you have nuts and raisins and you want to just eat the nuts, you have to take the nuts. You can't take the raisins out because you have to separate what you want, the oisling, from the psoilus, from what you don't want. On Yom Tov, at least one opinion, the key aspect when you're coming to do boire is the easiest way. If there are three raisins in a whole bowl of nuts, it's much easier to take out the three raisins than to take out the nuts. So you can just take on Yom Tov, it's the easiest way. So there is that, aspect, that added aspect. So again, you're allowed to add water, but you're not allowed to change the water. And on Cholomoyed, you can even change the water. Then it says, Katan, now we move on to a new point, Katan Yotel, and Anea Chayev Belulav. A child who knows how to shake is obligated in Lulav. I, again, a child who doesn't know won't be able to follow the instructions and do the action of shaking like we do in all four directions up and down, then he's not chayv in the mitzvah. Once he knows how to shake, he's chayv in the mitzvah. And the Meroime Sada and others bring out a very interesting point in Chinuchia. Do'oraisa, what do you have to be able to do to, what do you have to do to fill the mitzvah of Lulav? We saw this at the top of the page. Just pick it up. So why don't we say as soon as a child is old enough to pick up the lulav, even though he's not coordinated or clever enough to shake it correctly, he's old enough to pick it up. So shouldn't he do the mitzvah because he can do the mitzvah doraisa then? And that's what you're training him to do? So they answer no. The mitzvah of chinuch is not just training him to be able to do the basic mitzvah. The mitzvah of chinuch is connected to teaching, training the child to be able to do the mitzvah in the... uh, to be able to do the mitzvah in the way that uh, that he will perform it when he's an adult. So that's a very important point um, to bear in mind, I guess, not not as relevant to you as to me when you're teaching children, um, when you're training in the mitzvah of Chinuch, you might have thought, just get them to do whatever aspect of the mitzvah that they're able to do at that age. No, you've got to wait for them to be able to do the mitzvah let's say, in its complete sense, with all the, the, the natural, the normal way that when he's an adult, he would be ob- expected to do it. That's how we teach him to do it as a child. Um, now the Gemara goes back. So, it says, so the Gemara asks, Pshita, isn't it obvious that a woman can take the lulav from her husband and put it back in the water? What's it coming to add? Since a woman is not obligated in it, Maybe she shouldn't take it. It's mukta. It comes to teach us that since it's not mukta for her husband, it's not mukta for her. That's how Rashi explains it. Which implies that a woman should not be shaking a lulav. Should not be shaking a lulav. She would not be shaking a lulav in general because um, she's not obligated in it. But still, it's not considered mukta for her because it's not mukta for her husband, for her family. Interesting. I mean, you can go into this. Do we find things? And we do. That could be muktzah for one person and not muktzah for another person. But here it seems to be saying by the fact that the lulav is not muktzah for her husband, it's not muktzah for her. I, uh, Rashi explains, it gets the lulav is not just a stick, like which would be muktzah. Once it's used by men to shake, it gets the, the designation of a kli, a utensil, and utensils by and large, unless they also or something, are not muktzah. Now, this would be in contrast. This would this the way I explain would be a little bit difficult according to Rabbeinu Tam. Famous uh, opinion of Rabbeinu Tam is that um, 
is that a woman is allowed to perform a positive commandment. And not only that, if she wants to do it, she can also say the bracha. So if women want to hear the lula, go hear the shofar, they can hear the shofar. If they want to shake lulav, they can say a bracha and shake lulav. So according to that, this is a little bit more tricky because then obviously they would be allowed to take the lulav from their husband. Not only is their husband allowed to shake, they're also, or not, not only is their husband obligated to shake, but they're also allowed to shake. So that uh, you'd have to uh, adjust the sugya slightly to explain it like Rabbeinu Tam, but that's just something to keep in mind because that's how, as Ashkenazim, that's how we paskin, not like Shulchan Aruch and not like the Rambam. If a woman wants to do a positive commandment that she's not obligated to do, we allow her to do it, and not only that, she says a bracha on it. That's uh, our Rabbeinu Tam learns. Obviously, there might be certain mitzvahs like wearing tefillin, which we discourage women from doing, and uh, but there are many mitzvahs that women have kind of accepted upon themselves almost as a minag to do. Shofar, lots of women put in a lot of effort to make sure to hear shofar. So a positive time-bound mitzvah, they're not obligated. But again, you they're, they're allowed to, and it might be a praiseworthy thing to put in extra e- effort on Rosh Hashanah. And I think lulaf, many women have the, let's call it almost the minag to shake lulaf, Okay, but let's go on. Then it says, Katani Adel, and now a child who knows how to shake Lulav. It says, Toner and this is a brisa regarding Chiroch. Um, just one interesting question that's discussed over here regarding this, not going to go into it. Is the mitzvah of Chiroch a mitzvah on the father to teach his child? Or is it also a mitzvah for the child to do it? Uh, is the child fulfilling, the father tells the son, he's got an eight-year-old child and he shows him how to shake lulav and tells him to shake the lulav. When the father tells his son to do that, is he, um, is the son also doing a mitzvah to Rabbonon? Or is it just the father doing the mitzvah to Rabbonon of Chinuch and the son, for all intents and purposes, is just uh, waving a stick around? So that's an interesting question to think about. The mitzvah of Chinuch is the child also actually doing a mitzvah. Okay, Tonra Bonan. Kotone Adel and Anea, of Belulav. A child who knows how to shake is obligated to Lulav. Lehisatev, to wrap himself, Chai Betzitzis, is obligated to put on Tzitzis. Remember, the Shulchan Aruch discusses a special way to put on your talus, like, um, like, uh, Um, like it says, like Yishmaelim, but again, so as soon as he knows, let's just say, how to dress himself, well then you're obligated to teach him to put on tzitzis on his corners when he dresses himself. Lishmor tefillin, if he knows how to guard tefillin. Tefillin, you have, when you're wearing tefillin, you have to be careful of not going to the bathroom, of not going into dirty places, certain thoughts are forbidden. So when he's old enough to guard the tefillin, to keep their sanctity, Aviv lokeach loy tefillin, the father buys him tefillin. Yodel ledaber, when he learns how to speak, his father teaches him Torah and Kriyashma. Um, let's just discuss a few points. Um, Torah, Mahi, what Torah does the father teach him first? Hashem commanded the Torah to Moshe and it's an inheritance for the whole congregation of Yaakov. Kriyashma, Mahi, what's the first? What when we say he must teach him Kriyashma? Posuk Rishon, that's referring to the first Posuk. So those are the first points in Torah that a child should learn. Interesting enough that the first Posuk, those are the fundamentals of our belief. If you can't get past those, if you can't accept those, you're going to never be able to accept the rest of the Torah. Torah Tzivalonu Moshe, that Moshe commanded us the Torah. If you can't accept the divine origin of the Torah, well then you're going to, how are you going to live as a Jew? And the second one is that Hashem Echad, that Hashem is one. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. If you can't accept that concept, well, 
you, you're stuck. So those are the fundamentals of our belief, and those are the first things you teach a child when he can read. Into two other points. One is, um, if you notice, and we'll see this, we're going to give more examples of chinuch. It jumps around in ages. Obviously, the age that a child knows how to shake, a lulav, will be older than a child who knows how to put on tzitzis. Children from already three or four can start getting themselves dressed. So, but they would have to be a bit older to, um, to shake lulav. And even older to God to look after tefillin. And younger, a two-year-old, three-year-old is starting to speak and can learn the psukim, can start to learn Torah. If a child is old enough to know how to keep his body tohor, he can be careful not to let tome things touch his body. We let him eat. If tohoros, truma, etc., kodshim, touch his body, we can still eat them, if he, if, assuming he's tohor. Lishmar es yorov, to watch his hands. yorov tohoros. If his hands touch tohoros, we can let them eat. Remember, hands are stricter because we say, as soon as you're not aware of what your hands are doing, they become tome. Remember, that's exerid and That's why we vas, etc. That's someone who was eating truma, always had a vas. Um, because we assume that your hands wander around and you don't know what they've been up to. So, so, so hands are stricter. So it would be a little bit older. But if he's that old, then you can eat Taurus by his hand. If he knows how to be asked. In Rishus HaYochid, the Sofeik is Tomei. And in Rishus HaRabim, the Sofeik is Tohor. What, um, what are we referring to here? I should have explained it first. We know that with Tuma. If you have generally, we have general rules of how to deal with doubts in the Torah. I, Sofek Doraisa Lechumre, if it's a, a Doraisa thing, we go strict. We go after Chazoka, what was its previous status, etc. But Tuma, there's a very special law that if you not, if, if someone is Tomei, it's a Sofek whether they became Tomei in the Rishus Hayochid, we say they are Tomei, but if it's a Sofek, a doubt whether they became Tomei in a Rishus Harabim, then we say they are tohor. And that's learned out from the sota. Don't want to go into the drosha now, but that's learned out from the sota. And it also is only someone who you can ask, did you become tome? And either say, yes, I became tome. No, I didn't. Or I'm not sure. If they answer not sure, well, then you see whether they're in the public or whether they're in a private area. And if the child is old enough to that, you can ask him, did you become tome? And he's able to answer, then those rules apply to him. If not, if he's too young, you ask a child, uh, did you become Tomei from a lizard or whatever, and he doesn't know like, what you're asking him or how to answer clearly because he understands what's going on, well, then you have to go after the general rules of how do you deal with the Sophic and not the special dispensation, the special way of is he in public or in a public domain or private. This is how you tell Lifroy's cup of if he knows how to spread his hands, he knows how to duchen, cholkim lo trumas beveis hakronos, we separate truma for him in the granary. Rashi, um, really, a young child, and even though he already knows how to keep himself tohor, you don't give truma to him when he goes to the granary. Remember, the farmers will all had their grain and they would um, distribute it to the truma to the kohanim. You don't send young children to do that because it's degrading for the truma. Because people don't really know, is this child old enough to look after the truma correctly, to stay tar, etc. So it's a bit degrading for the truma. But once he's theoretically old enough to um, do Nasir's Kapayim, which Rashi explains, he's now bar mitzvah, because you have to be bar mitzvah 
to do Netzias Kapayim, well then he's old enough to give him Taharos. Tosso says all of the cases we've been discussing here is someone under Bar Mitzvah. So this case must also be discussing someone under Bar Mitzvah. And Tosos explains as, 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 as follows. Basically, yeah, I should have emphasized that Machloikes is on can a mana do Nasir's Kapayim? According to Rashi, a mana, a boy under Bar Mitzvah, is not allowed to do the Nasir's Kapayim, is not allowed to do it. And that's why Rashi has to explain here that we must be discussing a boy who's over Bar Mitzvah. And basically, that for all intents and purposes, we're saying only a boy over, only if he's over Bar Mitzvah are you allowed to distribute truma to him at the granary. Um, Tosso is saying no. A child under Bar Mitzvah is allowed to do Nasir's Kapayim, is allowed to do it. Oh, so when, why does the Gomorrah elsewhere say he is not allowed to? What's that referring to? That's referring to by himself. Uh, if there's only one Kohen in Shul, and he's a child under Bar Mitzvah, then he doesn't Duchen. But if there are other Kohanim that are Duchenin, he can join them. And so when he's old enough to Duchen, that's when he's old enough to give him Truma at the granary that it's not degrading to the Truma. Ayodeya... If he knows how to shecht, you can eat from That's obviously where an adult is standing by him. He's old enough to make sure to slice and not push, and, and you have an adult watching that he doesn't mess up in any of the other halachas, you can eat from his Interesting, you might have thought that only an adult can shecht and make it kosher, just like, um, but we see a child can also. Um, once a child is old enough to eat a kazayas of grain, you have to distance from his um, excrement and urine for amos. Either alochos of you're not allowed to say shma near foul things kicks in a child who is able to eat a kazayas of grain. So discussion is it that he's able to eat a kazayas of grain or that he has eaten a kazayas of grain? But either way, um, that's a problem. That's when we consider his. Uh, his excrement and urine um, foul, but when he's under that age, when he's a tiny baby, and he's not eating solids yet, it doesn't really have a bad smell, and it's not considered, it's not considered foul, and that you can't say shema and daven nearby. Omar says this is where he's able to eat it. We generally say, um, so that, again, the time it would take a regular adult to eat a half loaf is how long it takes this is if this child could eat a kazayas of grain in that amount of time, that's when he's old enough and that's when it makes his, I guess, his digestive system work in a certain way that his, um, what his body is expelling is foul. Omar Yeva, But once he's a bit older, some say seven or eight, but he's a bit older, even if he's not really able to eat that fast, says when he as his mind increases his pain increases the difficulty of uh, going to the bathroom increases so we see it's also age related so it's not just what does he eat and is he able to eat at a certain speed it's also age related so that's the one now we go on to another if the child is able to eat a kazayas of roasted meat. Shoichtin olav es ha-pesach, he can be included when you shech the korban pesach. 
Each man according to what he can eat. And so what the term, remember, you've got to be very careful when you shecht in the Pesach because you're only allowed to shecht for people who can eat. And only those who shecht on behalf are allowed to eat from the Korban Pesach. Is a child included in that? So once he has the ability, so a two-year-old, you'll give them a kazais of meat. They'll eat, nibble a little bit, chew it and spit it out. So they obviously not. But a child who's a bit older, who's able to eat a kazais of meat, he can, you can, when you shech the common Pesach, you can include him in the shechita that he also gets a piece of the common Pesach. Um, Rabbi Yehuda Aimeh, Rabbi Yehuda says, no, even a bit older, that he's able to clarify what is food. Like if you gave this child a nut and a stone, would he be able to tell the difference? Would he just chuck the nut and chuck the stone and eat the nut. That's the age we're looking for with the common Pesach, not just that he can eat a kazais of meat. Okay, hadron aloch lulav ha-gozel, hadron aloch lulav ha-gozel, hadron aloch lulav ha-gozel. Okay, let's start the fourth parak of Sukkot called lulav ha This is going to discuss the many different mitzvahs that we do over Sukkot. And, and the different mitzvahs extend or are performed on a different number of days. So we're just going to qualify those in the Mishnah, and obviously the Gemara will explain the reasons behind it. Um, just one point to keep in mind, in Eretz Yisrael, remember Sukkot's first day, Yom Tov, is one day, and then there's six days of Cholomoyed Sukkot, so you have seven days of Sukkot, and then you have another day of Yom Tov, the eighth day, which is called Shmini Atzeres. Shmini Atzeres, in some aspects, is a separate festival to Sukkot. So in a way, you can say you have Sukkot for seven days, and then Shmini Atzeres one day after that. Um, and in Chutzl Aretz, we have two days first. We have two days of Yom Tov, and then we have, again, um, a five days of Cholamoid, and then two days of Yom Tov. Shmini Atzeres and Simchas Torah, but obviously we're discussing in the times of the Beis Hamidash in Eretz Yisrael, where there were only eight days seven days of Sukkot and one day of Shmini Atzeret. So just bear that in mind when you're going through this, this Mishnah. So he says, Lulav, Arava, Shisha, Veshiva. Regarding taking the Lulav and the Arava, it was sometimes performed six days and sometimes seven days. The Lulav is the Lulav bundle, the four minim, and the Arava is in the Beis Amigdash. They used to walk around the Mizbech with Aravas, with willows. Separate mitzvah, we've touched on it, but we haven't really discussed it in detail. But so those are two separate mitzvahs. We're not talking about the Lulav, Hadas, Arova, and Eshrog. We're talking about the Lulav, which is the four species, and the Arova. Sometimes they were six days, sometimes seven days. Ahalel Simcha, Halel and the mitzvah of Simcha, Shmoine, were for all, for all eight days. Halel is this, it's a Xerah, it's a mitzvah, the Rabbonin, to say Halel, and we say full Halel all of eight days of Sukkot. Again, unlike Pesach, remember, we only say Halel on the first day, really. Full halal. Simcha. Simcha refers to eating the korban. Um, Simcha refers to eating the korban. A korban. There's a special mitzvah on Yom Tov to eat korban meat. It adds a dimension of simcha. Ein simcha. When we say ein simcha the primary simcha is with meat and wine. That is primarily to eat the meat of a korban. It's a, bit dis- it's a discussion. Do we still fulfill it nowadays with regular meat, etc.? But primarily that is to eat the meat of a korban. So that, halal and simcha, were eight days. Sukkah, venisu hamayim shiva. To sit in the sukkah and to do the water lapation was for seven days. Special ta- On sukkahs, there was a special avoid in the Beis Hamidash that they would pour a water lapation in accompanying the morning daily offering. 
Um, generally, water was not brought on the Mizbech, but on Sukkot for seven days it was. Hacholil Hamisha Veshusha. Playing with flutes was five or six days. Um, that is, they would have parties in the Beis Amikdash. We'll learn about this more later on in the Mizbech, but they would have parties in the Beis Amikdash. Um, and with music and stuff. Now, those were not that, that music was not performed on Shabbos or Yom Tov. I think they would still have the party, but not the music. I don't remember whether they had the party or not. But therefore, it was only five or six days. Um, yeah, let's just, just quickly to, before all of these, why, why did the days change? Because it depends whether you do it on Shabbos and Yom Tov and whether they overlap. So, for example, if first day Sukkot is Shabbos, so it's Yom Tov and Shabbos, and then you have six days of Cholamoid, where you can play the musical instruments at, at this. It's called Simchas Beis HaShoeva. You can play musical instruments. But if Shabbos, if you have Yom Tov and then Shabbos is on one of the days of Cholamoid, you're only going to have five days that you can play the musical instruments. So too with the Lulav. The Lulav, as we'll see, only pushes aside. Yeah, well, that's the next point. So that's to keep in mind. It depends on whether they override Shabbos or not and which day is Shabbos and which day is Yom Tov. Let's see, the Gemara, the Mishnah will explain, elaborate a little more and the Gemara will explain the reason. So he says, Lulav Shiva Ketad. When do you have Lulav for all seven days of Sukkot? It says, Yom Tov Arishan Shechol Shel Chag Shechol Yois Beshabbos. If the first day of Sukkot, Chag is the language in Chazal for Sukkot. So if the first day of Sukkot fell out on Shabbos, Lulav Shiva, then you take the Lulav for all seven days. You take the Lulav on Shabbos if it is the first day of Sukkot as well, and therefore it's for Veshar Kolayomim, if Shabbos falls out on any other day, Shisha, you would only end up taking the Lulav for six days. I even know it's a Chiyuv Da'oraisa in the Beis Hamikdash to take Lulav every day. They, the Lulav would not push aside Shabbos, even in the Beis Hamikdash, except on the first day of Sukkot. So let's say Shabbos is on third day Cholamoid, you would end up taking your Lulav on the first, what did I say, third day, you take your lulav on the first and second day of Sukkot, skip the Shabbos Cholamoid, and then for the remaining three day, uh, four days, you would take it, so you'd only get six days. Arova, regarding t- this, that they would walk around the Mizbech with Arova, Shiva, when would you take it for seven days? Shiva, Ketzad, Yom Ashvi Shal Arova Shechol Shabbos, Arova Shiva, if the Seventh day of Sukkot fell out on Sukkot, on, on Shabbos. Then you would take the Arova for seven times. If Shabbos fell out on any other day, Shisha, you would only take it for six days. Either day that we call Hoshana Rabbah. If that is a Shabbos, then you take the Arovas on it and walk around the Mizbech with them. Therefore, you would take the Arovas on first day, obviously first day, Sukkot, and all the days up to, and also on Shabbos, which is the seventh day. So you'd get seven days of Arova. If Shabbos was on any other day of Sukkot, you wouldn't take the Arovas around the Mizbech. They would not push aside Shabbos. And therefore, you would only end up taking it six. Interesting, just to, and I think it will clarify for us a little bit, on, on the same Sukkot, you can't take both the Arova and the Lulav for seven days. Because you only take the Lulav for all seven days of Sukkot if first day Yom Tov is Shabbos. And you only take the Arova for all seven days of Sukkot if the seventh day of Sukkot is Shabbos. You can't have, I mean that's only six days apart, so you can't have Shabbos on both of those days. Therefore you are either going to be taking the Lulav for seven days or the Arova for seven days. And if Shabbos is in the middle of Cholamoid, well then both of them would be for six days. Um, 
So I lost the play. So I really love it. Mitzvahs lulav keitzad. In the Beis Amigdash, when the first day of Sukkot falls out on Shabbos, how would they do the mitzvah of lulav? Because you're still not allowed to carry it to the Beis Amigdash. So it's Yom Tov Arishon Shalachat Shechol Shabbos on the first day of Sukkot, which falls out on a Shabbos Molech, and it's a lulvahem, the Harabais. On Erev Shabbos, they would take their lulavs, the four species, to Harabais, to the Temple Mount. The Chazonim would take it and arrange it on a bench. They had these long benches along around uh, Temple Mount. And the elders would take their lulavs and put it in a special chamber. And they would teach everyone to say, Whoever gets my lulav, it is a gift to him. Remember, because you have to take your lulav. So if I'm going to bring my lulav, hand it over to the base, to the cousin's assistant, he's going to line up a few hundred, maybe a few thousand, tens of thousands of lulavs, on these benches, you're not going to have to get your lulav the next day. You're going to get any lulav. And therefore you teach them that you say, whoever gets my lulav, it is a gift to him. So that everyone's using their own lulav. The next day they would come to the base of Mikdash. And the chazonim would just throw out the lulavs. Throw them into the crowd. Like a... Like sweet set of a mitzvah. Um, and they would push and hit each other trying to get to the lulavs. Exactly when uh, back before Corona, when you'd have the kids charging around, pushing and fighting to get these sweets. So it was like that with the adults trying to get a lulav that the Chazorim were throwing. When Chazal saw that this is a little bit dangerous, people are going to get trampled and injured. So they said, no one takes their, their lulav in the base. I mean, that you take it at your home. Again, first day Sukkot, which is Shabbos. You can't carry your own lulav to the base. I mean, how do they distribute them? They stopped doing that and they would leave it there. And they, and they would leave, so they, would, so they decided to not take the lulav in the Beis Hamikdash on first day. So, because they told everyone to take your lulav at home before you come to the Beis Hamikdash.